3: Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on episode 75, 9000 B.C. Previously on the Fano History podcast, we heard that humans began to settle down in places and start something that looked like proto civilizations. Fano History is dependent on your support as patrons on patreoncom slash History. I'm going to talk more about that at the end of the show. Uh, so now, I will go into the details about the years 9,000 to 8,500 BC. I'm working from script written by Shane Sowersby. So thank you very much, Shane. I'm Dan. I'm the fan of history. And today we're going to focus on the 9th millennium BC. This was a time when world population levels were approximately 5 million people. Northern Eurasia continued to be resettled by Mesolithic people as glaciers retreated further north, and the beginning of settlements were starting to occur in the Middle East following the drought conditions of the previous millennium caused by the younger Dryas, as we discussed in the last episode. And the first thing I want to talk about today is the Folsom culture. It existed from 9000 to 8000 B.C., The gradual warming and retreat of the glaciers following the end of the Younger Dryas caused environmental changes that led to the extinction of the mammoth and other megafauna in North America. This led to changes in strategy in regards to hunting, technology and social organization of hunting groups. In 9000 BC, the Folsom culture replaced the previous Clovis culture and their ways of life. In Manitoba, the warming trend had a major effect of vegetation. Lake Agassiz, that had appeared and caused the younger Dryas, as we discussed in the last episode, still dominated the southern landscape, changing its shape and extent frequently in response to the retreat of glaciers over thousands of years. On land, grasslands expanded northwards, replacing the spruce forests that had been home to the mammoth. A much larger version of the modern bison known as bison antiquities was found in these ever-expanding grasslands. The Folsom people had to adapt to these changes in conditions, and through modifications in weaponry hunting tactics and resource use, they were able to exploit the grasslands by hunting the giant bison in large numbers using thinner projectile points hafted onto spears. It was also believed that the first use of the Atlatl, or spear thrower, was used to increase the length of the hunter's arm to throw the spear further with increased speed. Very little is known in regards to settlement organization among the Folsom's. Archaeological sites consist of numerous bone fragments and shipping debris that suggest short-term seasonal occupation. As for religion, discoveries of a large post mold, an antler float, projectile point, and butchered dog remains at the Jones Miller site in Colorado are reminiscent of the medicine post ceremony used among historic Northern Plains people to ensure a successful hunt. The next culture I want to speak about is the Maglemosian culture from 9000 to 6000 BC. This is an early Mesolithic culture of northern Europe. It originates from the archaeological site of Maglemosi, uh, probably Maglemosan, in Denmark, which was excavated in 1900 sharp by George Sarro. These people lived in an environment containing forests and wetlands ideal for fishing and hunting, using tools made out of wood, bone and flint microliths. These include sharply-edged spears and arrowheads made out of flintstone, as well as a specific type of fishing spear so known as a uh, lysta. Although some of these people may have settled down, the majority continue to live a nomadic lifestyle, albeit with the help of a man's best friend, the domesticated dog. Sea levels were still much lower than today, with Europe and Scandinavia landlocked with Britain via Doggerland for another 3,000 years or so. And when Doggerland goes down into the sea, yeah, it's going to be epic. I will tell you all about that in this series on prehistory. The next thing I want to talk about is Starcar. Starcar is 8,700 BC. Evidence of the spread of Maglemosian culture into the eastern parts of Britain was found by a local amateur archaeologist, John Morse, in 1947 on the edge of the former Lake Fixton, situated in the Vale of Pickering near Scarborough in North Yorkshire. Radiocarbon dating indicated that the site known as Starcar was occupied on a seasonal basis between 8770 and 8460 BC, which places the site in the early Mesolithic period. Between 1949 and 1951, Sir Graham Clark carried out excavations of the site, finding barbed antler points that were used to hunt beaver, fish, deer or elk. However, also recovered in the initial excavation were 21 headdresses made out of red deer skulls and antlers. The top half of the skull was carefully removed with the antlers still in place before the lower foot of the antlers shafts were removed. Finally, two holes were carved using a flint tool on either side of the skull to allow some kind of fastening to be tied underneath the chin. Clark suggested that the headdress was used as a disguise in order for Mesolithic hunters to seek their prey without detection. That sounds incredibly stupid. Would you put on a a mask pretending to be a deer? Would the deer fall for that? I doubt that. However, archaeologists today suggest that they were actually used for ceremonial purposes by a shaman or priest in order to fuse with the spirit of the deer that I can agree on. That sounds more reasonable. Further excavation was carried out by the Vale of Pickering Research Trust in the 1980s. On the shoreline of the remains of Lake Flixton, that was the real name of the lake, not Flixton, evidence of a sophisticated uh, carpentry culture began to emerge as new timbers were revealed. Sections of what appear to be a well-built platform or trackway extended at least 30 meters along the shore of the former lake. This is evidence of the earliest known example of carpentry in Europe. The very earliest carpentry ever in Europe. It was made from planks that had been split from a larger piece of wood by hammering veggies following the natural grain. Some of the edges had been smoothed by using a flint adze before being laid upwards with the rough sides sunk into the mud. Excavation, carried out northeast of the platform in 2008, identified evidence of a further structure with a diameter of 11 feet that was interpreted as a hut. Post holes indicated that the structure was made out of 18 wooden posts with a diameter of 7.9 inches that possibly had either a conical or rounded frame covered with hides, thatch, turf or bark. The floor was covered with a layer of moss, reeds and other soft plant materials 7.9 to 12 inches deep. When Clark published his initial analysis in 1954, he proclaimed that Star Car was a small camp of mobile hunter-gatherers. However, the excavation team of 2008 sees the site differently. That it was used on a seasonal basis with highly mobile groups moving out before bringing Flint back from as far as 40 kilometers away. Other groups may have occupied the site on a more permanent basis, using their skills in carpentry, boat building, and antler working. Possibly as a result of the water level falling in Lake Flixton, the site was abandoned in approximately 8400 BC. That is a long time before the Maglimotian culture ended. The next thing I want to talk about is Craymond, 8500 BC. Moving further north to the banks of the Firth of Forth in southern Scotland, the earliest known remains of human settlement in Scotland were uncovered by the Edinburgh archaeologists. Hold
0: up.
3: field society at Cremont. Originally searching for remains of a Roman bathhouse, the team found at the base of a trench church stone tools and Hasselnut shells that revealed a stratified Mesolithic site that had been uncontaminated by later usage with help from Edinburgh City Council, Historic Scotland and National Museums of Scotland, the site was radiocarbon dated to approximately 8500 BC. This represented an ideal mesolithic location for hunter-gatherers to access a wide range of freshwater and marine resources. Pits and stakeholes provided evidence of an encampment in the area. Now Let's talk about pre-pottery Neolithic A, that is 8500 to 7600 BC. This was the first stage of the Neolithic period that covered the Levant and Anatolia between 8500 and 7600 BC. This time period is characterized by small circular mud brick dwellings, cultivation of crops hunting a wild game and unique burial customs in which the bodies were buried below the floor of dwellings. Pottery was still not in use. Imagine that you are burying your grandmother underneath the floor of your living room. Archaeological sites are much larger than those of the preceding Natufian hunter-gatherer culture. Settlements are characterized by round, semi-subterranean houses with stone foundations and terrazzo floors. Upper walls were constructed of unbaked clay mud bricks with convex cross-sections. Small hearths were covered with cobbles. Heated rocks were used in cooking that led to accumulations of fire-cracked rock in buildings. Almost every settlement contained storage bins that were made either of stones or of mud brick. The most notable settlement is Jericho, the world's oldest inhabited city that was previously founded by the Natufians near the Ain as sultan Spring ...in approximately 9,000 BC. Under the pre-Pottery Neolithic A period... ...the town grew to a population of between 2,000 and 3,000 people... ...protected by 12 feet high and 5 feet uh, wide stone wall... ...that was used to protect against flooding rather than raids from local bandits. In the center of one of the walls was a tower... That was used for ceremonial purposes, casting the shadow of a nearby mountain on the summer solstice to create a sense of power for the ruling elite. The culture is unique for its burial practices. Kathleen Canyon found no fewer than 279 burials underneath the floors and foundations as well as between walls. Later on, in the pre-Pottery Neolithic A period, the skulls were dug up and painted for display. Oh, remember grandma that we buried beneath the floor. Let's dig her up and paint her skull. Stone tools consisted of blades struck from regular cores with sickle blades and arrowheads continuing from the preceding Natufians axes and adzes appear for the first time. As people began to settle in settlements like Jericho. cultivation of domesticated varieties of barley, wheat and wild oats were carried out uh, that were stored in granaries. Despite this, Hunting continued to supplement their diet until the mid-8th millennium B.C., but with the granaries in usage, people could live in the same place all year round. And here comes a rough one to pronounce. Please forgive me, anyone who speaks Chinese. Nanshung Tu culture, 8,500 to 7,600 B.C., The first Neolithic culture to emerge in China was Nanshangtu, a site discovered in 1986 in the Taihang Mountains on the western border of the North China Plain. During excavations in 1986, 1987 and 1997, stone tools including five slabs and four mullers were recovered along with numerous pottery churds. Radiocarbon dating suggests that the occupational phase of the Nang tu site was between 8500 and 8000 BC. A further site at Donghulin on the Saitang Basin, 78 kilometers west of Beijing, was discovered in 2001. Dated to between 8000 and 7500 BC, the site contained pottery sheards. Groundstone slabs, approximately 144 mullers, hearts, and two human burials. More than 10,000 bone fragments contained remains of red deer, wild boar, and black bear. But it was discovery of the charred seeds of millet that would determine that this was the start of something new in Eastern Asia it is generally understood that this was the start of the domestication of foxtail millet and broomcorn millet in northern China, where they became the most dominant plant food crops as opposed to wheat and barley elsewhere. Ancient starch grain assemblages recovered from deposits included carbonized residues on pottery sherds, as well as the aforementioned stone grinding tools. These residues allow for the fact that it proved that foxtail millet was cultivated for at least two millennia, during which time the crop was undergoing domestication. Hence the start of the Neolithic period in China. And that is the end of Shane's script for episode 75. I have eight more excellent scripts on prehistory. By Shane. Thank you again, Shane. But when they're out, I have one script about the 690s BC and then I'm out of scripts. So this podcast needs help. I need you to support it. I'm not charging for these prehistory episodes on Patreon. So please uh, motivate me to continue after I'm done with the scripted episodes. By becoming a patron, because the patron is per episode, so you don't pay anything if I don't make any episodes after I'm done with these prehistory scripts. Uh, The patron is at patreon.com slash fanofhistory. I would really appreciate that. I have other podcasts that earn almost $500 per episode, and this one is at 11, but this is my oldest podcast, and I really, really love to do more about history. I may need other help as well. I do need advertisers. Uh, There are about a thousand listeners to this podcast. I need scripts. If you think there's a subject uh, on history you want me to cover, I am very open to do it if you have a good script. I also need a co-host. I do have one, maybe. But as I've learned after five years of podcasting, if somebody is perhaps your co-host, that doesn't mean much They are your co-hosts after you have produced episodes. And we don't have any plans yet to produce any episodes. So I'm open for another co-host. If you feel that you could be a co-host of fan of History, please contact me. The best place to do that is Facebook. Fan of History is on Facebook. And I am on Twitter also as well as Dan Horning. We also have a very alive YouTube channel that actually survived the perch in uh, the beginning of 2018, YouTube killed the profit of all small YouTube channels. They were allowed to get no money instead of very, very little money. But Fano History's YouTube is big enough to not be affected by this, but we definitely need more watch hours there. So please go to the Fano History YouTube channel and subscribe. There is a lot of content there that I have not published on the podcast. But I am doing that right now. This was actually serious on the YouTube channel called Timeline of World History. So if you want to spoil yourself, you can watch the Timeline of World History episodes. They are kind of PowerPoints episodes. You, you get a few difficult things written out. If you are listening to this to a, in a podcast app, you can give us reviews. Reviews help build visibility, particularly on iTunes. I only see reviews that are made in Sweden iTunes. So uh, uh, if you see any reviews on sort of American iTunes or something, please let me know because I can't see that. Thank you to all the patrons that actually support this podcast. I love to go on and, uh, yeah, please help me out. Thank you for watching. listening, of course, if you are on the podcast feed. I'm Dan. Cheers.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks and see you next time.